Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly afternoon to you. Goodly afternoon to you too. A very leisurely uh, way of doing the Arsecast Extra, isn't this, doing it after lunch? Yeah, it feels decadent. Decadent. It does. Really? It's as leisurely and relaxed as the Arsenal executives embarking upon the summer transfer activity. <laughs> I don't think it's it's quite that bad, but <laughs> it's certainly a bit different doing it in the afternoon. Um, and of course, you know, so much has happened since the last time we spoke. Serious mm. transfer moves have taken place. We've made a signing and we've sold a player. So what's everyone getting stressed about? Okay, we bought an 18-year-old from Brazilian regional football who's probably going to take a year or two to adapt to to life in England and the Premier League, and we've sold a goalkeeper nobody wanted, but it's a start, isn't it's it? Something. <laughs> it's something. <a>, I'm not even sure if it's a step in the right direction. It's kind of a lean in the right direction, isn't it? It's a head turn. Head in the turn. right direction. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, it's, you know, it's all we've got to go on. It's all we've got to go on right at this moment in time because nothing much else has happened. No, that's true. I mean, I guess it probably takes us back to about zero, doesn't it, in terms of what we've spent and what we've brought in? Well, I mean, what did we get? I think something in the region of €5 million Euros for our spinners. So that's, right. that's you know, it's not great money for, you know, uh, an international goalkeeper who's got mm-hmm. 175 caps or whatever he has. Certainly a lot of caps uh, for, for Colombia. And I'm not sure how much we paid for, for Martinelli. Like, you wouldn't want to be paying more than... I don't know, a million, million and a half for a player like that? I mean, oh, well, the, the stories I've seen have suggested a higher figure, I think. Really? Yeah, I, I think, you know, sort of more around the five, six million mark. But, yeah, but who knows how that fee is uh, comprised and what it's put together. Like, presumably it's a lot to do with, you know, appearances and achievements. Yeah, like probably. It's all probably a bit of Arsenal propaganda to say, look, we're spending money. Look, we spent £6 million already on this guy. And you haven't spent... They couldn't have spent that much money on on this guy. Not yet. isn't he already in the circle of trust? Wasn't he stood in the big circle of players at the training ground with Unai Emery, Mm. uh, part of the first-team squad? He's not got a squad number as yet, as far as I'm aware, but it looks like he's going to be going on the tour to America, which suggests he might... Do you expect him to be in this squad next season? The proper squad? I don't know. I mean... Possibly. Possibly. But I mean, I mean, how can we know? We haven't heard anything from anyone about anything. For weeks, nobody has said a word about uh, anything to do with the squad. You know, apart mm. from 
when Raul and Vinay spoke. That's the last thing we heard. We haven't heard from Unai Emery. Well, of course, everyone's been away. They've been away on their summer holidays. So that's that's not unreasonable. But we're all sort of shooting around in the dark trying to figure out what's going on. He could definitely be involved in the first team squad. I mean, I expect him to be on the tour and to play some minutes on the tour. But then that's true of a lot of players uh, at under 18, under 23 level who are going to go on this tour because so many of our, our, our senior players, if you like, are, are going to be away because they've been on international duty or they played into the summer. So we have to, uh, you know, fill out the squad with some players. But whether those players are going to be considered for first team action um, next season, it's, it's hard to say. So mm. right now, I don't know. But, you know, seeing as he is our newest signing, I've pinned all my hopes on him. You know, he, he is basically, uh, to me, what Edu is to you from an administrative point of view. Everything now is on Gabriel Martinelli to, you know, take us to literally the next level. That's where I'm going with this already. Of course. Well, look, the signing of a young Brazilian forward is always exciting. And we all remember well that Wellington Silver definitely lived up to his hype and went on to become an astonishingly good player for Arsenal Football Club. Wow. I mean, I rem- I've, I spoke to people who were around the club and the, they talked about him in unbelievably glowing terms. Yeah. Wellington Silver, the, 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 the hopes they had for him, the talent they said he had was, um, was up there with any kid they've seen coming through the academy. And, of yeah. course, it didn't work out. I mean, wasn't he... He had an addiction, though, didn't he? I mean, we have to uh, take this on a serious note. He, he developed a very serious addiction to pizza. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no. Yes. What's this story? He said, do you not remember this? He was away at one of the many clubs... I thought he, this was going to be like, are you going to say he was addicted to Beef Wellington or something like that? I was like, where's this going? He had a pizza addiction. He had a pizza addiction, yes. Like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Uh, so yeah, basically, uh, here's here's the uh, here's the uh, the story. I've had to go to a, a particularly grotty website uh, just to find it, but but here it is anyway. Arsenal kid Wellington Silva told cut out pizzas and Twitter, and the story says. Arsenal starlet Wellington Silva has been warned to improve his uh, improve his attitude and stop binging on pizza and Twitter. This is when he was on on loan uh, at Levante. Um, I mean. We could all learn something from that. If I could stop pizza and Twitter, I'd be healthier physically and healthier psychologically. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, whatever we do with Gabriel Martinelli, for God's sake, don't let him get hold of Papa John's numbers or yeah, Domino's yeah, or anything yeah, exactly. like that. Exactly. Keep him away from the pizza. Exactly. You know, make sure to check his phone every day. Have you got the Domino's app on there? No. Stay away from the meal deal. You don't need the fucking garlic bread. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but he was so highly thought of. I, th- I think there's mm. a story about him coming and playing a trial game and just absolutely uh, bossing him, being sensational as a teenager, but it never quite I, translated. I, I, work, I, work permit problems he, were part of that, I think. I think maybe, but I saw him play um, here in Dublin a few summers oh. ago. He played against... Arsenal brought like their youth team over to play against Shamrock Rovers. And I went to that game and he played. I mean, he did look quite good, but then so did some of the players who were playing that day as well. He didn't really stand out um, as far as I can remember. But there you go. I don't know. What's he doing now? Should I? He, well, uh, according to the last update of his Wikipedia page, he has been on loan with Internacional, um, but he's actually permanently with Fluminense, who he's we 26. He's 26. 26. What the shit, man? 
And according to Wikipedia, we signed him in December 2009 for a £3.5 million fee. What? Mm. We probably have paid about £16 million then for Gabriel Martinelli. Based <laughs> well, with inflation, that. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's a bit of a, a cautionary tale mm. for Martinelli. But, you know, he does seem like an interesting prospect. I think the thing that's made me kind of temper my excitement about it is I wasn't really fully aware of quite how the domestic Brazilian league was set up and he's been playing in the the Sao Paulo league and listening to Tim Stillman it Mm. doesn't sound like that's necessarily a particularly high standard of competition No it seems to be like a a breeding ground for young talent and nobody really takes it that seriously because everything's about the Copa Libertadores and and Mm. the other competitions so look you know it is I guess you know I'm not saying I'm not saying James that he is the Brazilian Cohen Bramall but you know (laughs) I refuse to believe that because I'm fully invested in him and his amazing talent. I just, you know, want to make that clear. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I mean, I suppose, look, we'll see a bit of him on tour and one imagines that a bit like Genduzzi last year, how he fares on tour might uh, have a a direct correlation with how much we see him next season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it it appears to be a signing which has been made with the influence of Edu, who Mm -hmm. is now free to uh, come to London and take over as the club's technical director to direct our technicality. We need Mm -hmm. it. We don't, you know, there's nobody directing anything. It's like Arsene Wenger said, what does a director of football do? Here, we go to the left, go to the right. What was it? Nobody knows where they're going at the moment. So we need, we need Edu to come in, but um, we still don't quite know exactly when he's going to take over. And even if he was to arrive next week, for example, or hook up with the, the US tour, He's not going to get to London until the end of July. And then there's maybe, what, 10 days of the transfer window left to go. I mean, realistically, nothing that happens this summer, having just said that Martinelli appears to be, you know, a deal he had some influence over. But but realistically, this isn't a summer in which his influence will be uh, key or the main one, right? I think we can all say it's on Raul Sané this summer. I- I think so, yeah. I mean, I even think the Martinelli links surfaced prior to, yeah. uh, you know, Eddie's, certainly Eddie's appointment, around the time we were looking at getting um, Monchi, you know. Yeah. So I think probably the likelihood is Martinelli might have been something to do with Sven Mislintat. You know, we might be working to a certain extent off mm. off work that he he laid down. Uh, Edu will arrive as a champion, won't he? Because Brazil... Uh, yeah won the Cup of America, surely he's going to want a bit of time off between that and taking up the role at Arsenal. You'd think just even practically in terms of uprooting your life from Brazil to to London. exactly, that's it, you know. Um, I know people will say if he's coming to be our technical director, he should, you know, just hop on the plane and get there straight away. But there are logistical and practical things that he has to deal with, like moving his family, packing up his house, you know, uh, getting a work permit for his dog, whatever it might be. You know, it's, you know, all of those things are just the realities, the practicalities of life. If you're moving from Brazil to London or from London to Spain or wherever the hell it is, you know, these things take time and they're not, they're not easy to sort out, even if you are in a, a fairly privileged position or in a better position than most people to get these things done or have people do things for you. But you're right. He might want a holiday and he might be perfectly entitled to take a holiday if he's been working non-stop for the Brazil national team for for x amount of time and has achieved this goal of winning the uh, the Copa America um you know it might well be that Edu doesn't have anything meaningful to contribute until January or even next summer 
which, are, which of course, you know, I mean, th- th- there's nothing particularly wrong with that per se, that if you're bringing in a technical director for the long term, right, that's fine. But Mislintat left in February. We knew in January. You know, it's taken you know, way too long to get this sorted, and it does feel like it's impacting on our, on our summer business. It does. I mean, I suppose with our Arsenal hats on, we could make the case for Edu to sort of muddle through, you know, for the next month, because that's all that's left of the transfer window, four weeks, and sort of, you know, once the window closes, theoretically, he can take us all the time he needs, but uh, maybe he'll, he'll throw himself straight into it. It feels a bit unlikely that someone would agree to do that. Mm, do you um, have any concerns that Edu, as technical director, and Raul Sanyehi, when he was spelling this out in his interviews, you know, was talking about this guy, uh, you know, whoever it is, we, we believe it's going to be Edu, you know, to set the technical direction of the club, which I assume um, involves playing style to a certain extent and will involve the kind of players uh, mm-hmm. that we bring in and the style of football and, and how we want to play and how we want, you know, Edu, of course, is associated with some of our, our best ever teams. And you would hope that his outlook on football is, um, if not to replicate that exactly, but, you know, to play exciting, attractive, attacking football. I mean, if he's not so involved this summer, do you worry maybe that there might be an incompatibility between the business that we do, whatever the hell we do between now and the, the close of the transfer window, assuming we do uh, business, and his outlook or his technical approach? It's a risk. I mean, you'd like to think there's been a degree of consultation, you know, even informally, just so that there are, those things are aligned. But it is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Because, you know... I think you're right. We won't see sort of the best of Edu's work this summer. Um, And it feels like we've been able to say that about the last few transfer windows, you know. So in January, well, we didn't... Sven was on the way out, you know, it was Raoul's first window. The summer before, there was a transition happening in terms of the chief executive with Gazidis and a new coach coming in. It just feels like every transfer window feels like a bit of a missed opportunity because we are in this protracted period of transition. And it feels like we we almost keep having to go back to the beginning because we keep losing personnel or things shifting. Mm. Uh, and, of course, that's slowing our progress and it's slowing down the sort of rebuilding process that we need to embark on. And I think the consequences of that, uh, and there are other factors involved in this as well, were summed up quite neatly by Tim Stillman in his Arsenal col- uh, Ars blog column this week where he was talking about how he thinks fundamentally the squad probably isn't going to look all that different next season. And it's it's quite difficult to argue with that at the moment. Yes, yes. The longer it goes without doing any meaningful business, the more that becomes um, probable. Mm. Much as we might not particularly like it, you know, the longer you go or the closer you get to the start of the season, you know, the more difficult it becomes to do, to do deals um, that we really should have been doing well before now. It feels to me, at least, anyway, like we should have been doing. Uh, we should have been doing a bit more. Um, Any final thoughts on David Espina now that he's gone? I mean, it is. It isn't a lot of money. I mean, I know we've spoken about our inability to sell goalkeepers for appropriate fees in the past, but yeah. for a number one goalie, it is quite cheap. But I guess at least we have now sold him because I think we probably would have been open to selling him in any of the last few years. 
Yeah, I mean, there was, I don't know how many clubs he's been linked with, oh, you know, since he joined practically. Uh, Everyone from the Turkish Super League. Pretty much every <laughs> Turkish team that ever existed has been linked with David Ospina. Um, look, he was never particularly my favourite goalkeeper. He didn't seem like a bad guy or anything like that. And everyone, uh, I think, has spoken quite highly of him as a, as a mm. person. Just as a as a goalkeeper, I'm not sure he's really suited to the Premier League. I think there are other leagues which um, his talents are better suited. Like yes, Sunday League. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> you know, I, I just think that in a in a league where players are as big and physical uh, as they are in the Premier League, um, you know, how many times did we see poor David Ospina sitting on the turf, uh, injured to within an inch of his life, only to miraculously recover? Um, you know, he he felt the knocks. It would be yes. fair to say. And I think the thing is, and hope, I think what Bern Leno showed last season is that being good with your feet and sort of okay in the air are not mutually exclusive. You know, mm. you can be over six foot and still be quite dexterous with the ball at your feet. So we're lucky to have a goalkeeper like that in Leno. And yeah, I'd be interested to see more of Emmy Martinez this season. Yeah. And see, you know, there were such good rave reports really about him at Reading last year. So it'll be interesting to see if that sort of bears fruit. Well, in, yeah. In he looks like the understudy to Bernd Leno. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, after that, I don't know who's going to be our third choice. You know, there's some young upcoming goalkeepers, I guess, who'll make that breakthrough. Uh, we didn't sign the, the guy Schubert, did we, that we were linked with? He's gone off to Schalke, maybe? Schalke, I believe, mm. yeah. Uh, Dejan Ilyev is quite highly thought of, that's, isn't he, in the academy? That's the yeah. one, yeah. Um, there's a couple of good young goalies. Arthur Oconquo, I think, is meant to be a good keeper. And, and there's still Matt Macy, who... He went out on loan last season, did went he not? To, yeah, where did he go? Port Quite Vale far or down something? the leagues. Yeah. Yeah, he went to Plymouth. Plymouth. Uh, played 34 games for Plymouth. He is... He'll be 25 in September, Matt well, Macy. Yeah, but I mean, Martinez is, what, 26 now? Coming yeah, in. so and he had quite a sort of. He came to Arsenal quite late, Matt Macy. He only came mm. in 2014. Uh, so, but you know, he. I feel like he had a couple of decent games, didn't he, for the first team a couple of years ago? Yeah, uh, and he certainly, unlike Ospina, got the size for the Premier League, about six foot six. So maybe he'll be the third choice. Yeah. Um, so in terms of other transfer business that's going on. More talk about Saliba and how we're going to pay a small fee and loan him back and then pay more when he comes to join us. But mm. I have to say, my interest in that deal is is quite peripheral um, right at this moment in time because I looked at the training pictures today. Uh, the boys are back doing their stuff at London Colney and one of the first pictures I saw was Mustafi jumping in the air like a big zany madman. And I was mm. thinking, oh, no, not again. <laughs> first day back. It takes practice, that stuff. He's got to start working on it. So I'm, I'm, no. I'm slightly concerned about the centre of our defence next season. Um, Isn't it weird that we have not really been linked with a centre-half for next season yet? I mean, well, maybe there, I'm There have been a couple, haven't there? There's the Dan Axel Zagadou, and there was... There was Zagadou, yeah. And there was the Argentine guy Kahneman. who was playing in Brazil... Yes, Kahneman, that's it. Um, but not not loads of links. Not loads of links. Like, certainly when you compare it to the amount of wide players we've been linked with, yeah. which is basically every single wide player in existence, mm. 
And when you consider that we do at the club already have some young players coming through, you know, who could make a, a stake a claim for some of the wide positions. You know, you think about Reese Nelson, of course, who's coming back. Uh, he'll be back a bit late because he's been away with the England un- under 21s, but Saka, Amici, um, Emil Smith Rowe, maybe, you know. It is a bit surprising that we haven't been linked with more defenders because if you were to say to me, what is the absolute priority for this season in terms of transfers? And I would say defenders. Mm. Followed very swiftly by a midfielder. We might talk about Joe Willock now in a minute as well, but I really do feel like if we don't... If we go into next season without buying a good central defender and we still have a player like Mustafi on the books whose um, who's goose is so cooked, you know, in terms of in terms of how he's perceived and what people think of him and also how he performs, you know, I'd be I'd be very disappointed with that. Um, you know, you live with it because what what can you do? But it, it feels like that's one of the the key areas, if we want to improve on the 51 goals we conceded in the Premier League last season, we need better defenders. And as yet, we still haven't signed Kieran Tierney. Um, I was talking to somebody during the week who basically said, look, it's it's there to be done. Like if Arsenal put the money down, or if Arsenal can find a figure with, with Celtic that they deem acceptable, which we haven't done yet, you know, the player is open to coming, a deal can get done, and so far, you know, this has been what? what what's this week three now since yeah. we got the free? You know, so it and is. In the meantime, Celtic have bought a left back. You know, everything mm. seems to be there. I mean, they. I think they need one because their backup left back has gone. Is Is Aguirre who was linked with Arsenal right. himself a few years ago? But um, yeah, that is a curious one. The Tierney one. I I almost get the hunch. I know you say there that he would probably come. I don't feel like it's a move he's desperate to make. It's not like a Zaha case where you feel like he's going to kick up a fuss about it. Mm. If Arsenal are hoping he's going to hand in a transfer request and drive down the price, I'm not. I don't think that's particularly likely. I think he's probably quite comfortable at Celtic and he, you know, he's still young, so he can still develop his game there. It is a bit odd. It's a player we like in a position we need. There's competition from Napoli, and yet we're not. You know, pressing the button and getting it done. Uh, quite hard to understand why, for the, for the sake of what's probably a couple of million pounds at this point. Yeah, it feels like it. I mean, that's... Yeah, I was told something, I think I said this the other week, something close to 22 would do it. And we've offered 15, and then I think we went to 17 and a half. And, you know, four and a half million pounds is not a small amount of money. Um, I know people say just pay it and, and what have you, but you know if you're really serious about getting a player, like um, I'm sure you've seen the story where Tyrone Mings has gone from Bournemouth, where he barely played, mm. to Aston Villa for a deal that's worth twenty six million pounds. Yeah, eventually could be. A, yeah, I mean, of course, well, there'll be add-ons and there'll be achievements and those kind of things. But in total, a deal worth £26 million, which is what probably Celtic want, a deal in total that's worth £25 million because there would be clauses and appearance clauses and uh, all that kind of stuff built into our deal as well. So if Aston Villa can go out and buy a Bournemouth 
I won't say failure, but a guy who didn't make the grade at Bournemouth for £26 million, why are we beating around the bush? Yeah, it, it is alarming that, but I also think that tells you something about the, the transfer market and the way that fees have inflated, particularly for British players. You know, I, I mean, when you look at Tyrone Mings costing £26 million and you look at that Ospina fee, for example, there is just such a massive gulf there and you end up wondering why we are so appalling at selling. I know mm. there's the British premium on Mings, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be confident in Arsenal to get that kind of money for a Callum Chambers, say, necessarily. Uh, and I saw a story today, and, you know, I take it with a pinch of salt, but about Mohamed Elneny going to Bordeaux and they were talking about £7 million fee. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's nothing in this market. Yeah. It's really curious. And I, I, I suspect part of the reason we're so bad at selling players and extracting fees is that we we probably overpay quite a lot of our players in terms of their salary. Um, so we're taking a makes, hit. We're taking yeah. a hit. Into, well, I mean, I think that's... OK, I, I, I take that point. I also think it's part of being, uh, for a long time, a Champions League club and, you know at a time when most of these players would have signed their deals, we were a Champions League club. I mean, when Elneny signed, we were in the Champions League. You know, he scored mm-hmm. against Barcelona. I was there in the rain. It was very, very wet that night. Um, but that's the reality of being a Champions League club, is that players will expect Champions League wages, whether they're deserving of them or not. But, you know, it is it is the, the wage scale at a club. You know, when your top earner earns £350,000 a week, even if you're coming in as a new signing, you're you're sort of using that as a kind of benchmark in a way. Um, and just to be clear, that's not to be critical of Mesut Ozil in any way. I'm just saying that when your club is prepared to play or pay a player £350,000 a week, you know, when you go in looking for a deal, you're not going to accept 10% of that. You know, so that that just bumps everything up, and that yeah. may well contribute to to the uh, to the difficulties difficulties we have in selling them because we probably have to write off a bit of transfer fee to sort of incentivize the player to go the other way. Yeah, I mean, we very publicly set some parameters for ourselves there in terms of what we are what were able to pay people, and mm. we're probably paying the price to that to an extent. Just to to bring it back to the centre-half thing, I do find it a bit odd, because when I look at our team, I think, well, what are we being linked with spending money on? A centre-half for next season, a wide player, potentially a left-back. And I can see the need for all those signings for different reasons. But if you were asking me to think in the very short term, looking at this team, what does it need? I think my number one would be a quality centre-half who's immediately available. And my number two would be a replacement for Aaron Ramsey. And those feel like... They, I mean, we can only go on the rumours we're seeing, but it feels like those feel sort of distressingly far down the agenda. Yeah, when you say a replacement for Aaron Ramsey, do you mean a player like Aaron Ramsey or do you mean a high-quality central midfielder who may possess different qualities and attributes to Aaron yeah. Ramsey. I think I do mean that. And in some ways, uh, I think what I mean as much as anything is an alternative to Meza Ozil because I think that, you know, I think Emery would probably be quite happy to set up a central midfield that had, say, Terrera and Ganduzi in it or something like that. Mm. But I'm not sure he's got a player 
who offers sort of an attacking threat and can operate as a kind of number 10, a linking player that isn't Ozil. And I'm not sure we, we know that he's not Ozil's biggest fan necessarily. Yeah, that's true. And it remains to be seen how he's going to use Ozil this season and what way he sets up his team, depending on um, depending on the sort of formation and system that he's thinking of. Because I would hope, I would hope, because everything felt a bit sort of firefighting sort of last season, didn't it? The the constant switching around of formations and uh, it didn't feel cohesive. So my hope is that during the off-season, Unai Emery has had time to think and to strategize with his coaching staff and say, look, this is what I want us to do next season. This is how I want us to play. I know we talk about him being tactically flexible and also, um, you know, somebody who will tailor his his system and tactics for the opposition and all those things are, are fine. But I also feel like you do have to have some kind of uh, base strategy or system to work off uh, in order for players to feel comfortable switching around to, to other ones, you know? So I, I think a lot depends on what Emery has got planned. And I'm really curious, actually, to hear from Unai Emery in a, mm. in a sort of uncontrolled setting, if you like. Um, in that, I don't mean an interview with the official Arsenal website. Right. Because I'd love for him to be asked about his expectations of what the club should be doing in terms of transfers. Because after the way last season ended, right? Uh, and we all know how bad it was, so I don't need to hash it up again. But this season, if it was something similar, I think that's that's it, right? That's curtains, kaput, gone. He's out the door. Yeah. So if you're Unai Emery and you realise... And he can't be blind to the fact that his defence was a fucking mess. And he can't be blind to the fact that we've lost uh, Ramsey and we've lost Welbeck. And, uh, you know, he has an issue with how to use Ozil. And there's a reliance on Granite Xhaka, which is not necessarily ideal. And there are various issues that this squad has to deal with this summer in the transfer market. If you're being told... Your job is on the line, but the only thing you've got to save your job are promotions and kids coming through from the academy. I don't know how happy you would be. So I'm really curious for somebody mm. to ask him about transfers because he was quite upfront, wasn't he, in January, where he said, yeah. We need players. And then he said, We don't have money. And, you know, even when Holding got injured, he said, We have to go out and get a central defender now. And we didn't go out and get a central defender in January. So he's been pretty upfront in terms of what he would like. And so far, the club have not delivered those things to him. Um, assuming, you know, Dennis Suarez isn't some kind of weird peace offering that went terribly wrong. So, yeah, well, I do kind of wonder if there's a degree to which <laughs> Dennis Suarez was sort of a sop to Emery. And, uh, you know, I, there's good and bad about that. I mean, I, I, there's no way I think Emery is sat there with a year fixed remaining on his deal and a possible year after that saying, yeah, let's spend a load of the money on a player I can't use for 12 months. Yeah. I mean, that that could be too late for him, the Saliba signing. So, yeah. so one thing that I think about that is, well, we're asking the club to have a long-term strategy. We're asking them to have a technical direction and director that extends 
beyond the coach, has a longer term view. Well, a signing like that suggests that maybe that is in play or that is sort of in place. Uh, but I do think he will have quite strong views on it. I wonder how public he'll be prepared to be on it. I kind of wonder if the Wilfred Zaha bid, I mean, I read a couple of reports saying, you know, it's a player who Naomi really likes. And I actually, I think there's probably a lot of truth in that because I remember him speaking about Zaha before and after the Palace game last season. And he spoke in very glowing terms about him. And I do kind of wonder if that 40 million bid for a player who's valued significantly higher by his club is almost a bit of a sop to Emery. It's a bit of like, okay, well, we'll give we'll it try a go. And get you the guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wonder about that. Yeah. I just wonder about that. Well, we're a month away from the new season. We haven't signed anyone, and he's going to go through the motions on the training ground and do his work and be professional. And of, of course. But if I were Unai Emery and my job was on the line because I have to finish in the top four or win the Europa League and my squad has already been weakened from last season and so far there's no investment how long can you as a manager sit on your hands unless of course you're aware of a lot of stuff that's going on in the background in which case you keep your mouth shut and hope that the deals get done but I think it'll be quite informative to hear what Emery says like, if it's a case that he's going, yeah, we're, we're confident, we're going to bring in players, you know, the club have told me, you know, we've got our targets, we're working hard to get them, fine. I think you can take that at face value. Whereas I think if Unai Emery publicly starts to talk about the need for players in particular positions, then I think we start to get a bit worried. Because mm. if he's making it public, if he's going public with the fact that we need these players... That's not. That's him putting pressure on those above him to make these things happen. So, you know, when he meets the press, I, I don't know if there's going to be, you know, a press conference before they get to the States, but certainly in the US, there'll be pregame press conferences before all the, the, the games in LA, Charlotte and DC, possibly one before the... Uh, the game in Denver, but certainly there will be a post-game press conference uh, after the game against Colorado Rapids, in which I'm sure he will be asked questions about about the club's transfer business. So I'm really, really curious to see what he says. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that he is having a real freak out, to be honest, because you know he he will want new players in. He'll want some of the existing players out. Uh, he's basically been given a coach from the academy. Uh, who I don't know if would have, how involved he will have been in that appointment and sort of told, look, you've got to have to make the best of it with some of these kids. Um, and he knows the pressure is on. After the way we finished last season, there's no doubt about that. He, he cannot afford a bad start to this season. Uh, he won't last it if he starts badly enough. So, yeah, it, it would be really interesting to hear what he has to say. And I think we probably will do in America. And maybe he will try and exert a bit of pressure on those above him. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. It doesn't look like there are going to be any new faces on the tour, apart from Martinelli. Mm. Um, you know, I wrote about this a bit today. You know, on the blog that um, you know, part of your preseason tour is to go and sort of spread the, you know, the awareness of Arsenal and get people excited and involved. Going over there with a load of the players that really didn't. Um, enthrall anyone last season seems a bit of a, a missed opportunity. Now, of course, you don't yeah. buy players just to go on tour. Of course you don't. But uh, it, it does make me worry a little bit about our, our 
strategizing. You know, I, I, I feel like the dynamic, the structures behind the scenes that we expect to be tip-top maybe aren't. Yeah, well, like I said, it's that thing of, you know, infuriatingly, there's kind of a get-out, isn't there? There's kind of an excuse of, well, you know, we're waiting for the technical director. Well, you know, it's Raoul's first window. You know, there's always an excuse. There's always a way, an explanation for dragging our heels. Uh, but it is frustrating, and time is getting short now. It is getting short. It's only a month away. Um and I think it just feels increasingly likely that we're not going to move on. A lot of the guys, we want to move on. And inevitably, that will inhibit our spending. Mm. Okay. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with some of your questions. But I wanted to, A, thank everyone uh, for entering the competition last week um, mm. for the new home shirt. Um, the question was quite easy. Um I think it was... You had a 66.6% chance of getting it right, I believe. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, So the random number generator has done its thing, and the winner of the shirt is Sean Anderson. Well done to you, Sean. I will be in touch by email with you, and I'll get your details, and we'll get uh, whatever shirt you like out, or whatever name and number and and what have you. Um, Mine arrived today, Pires 7. Yep. Got Pires Uh, 7 on the back. Very is good. it the is it like the pro version or is it like the standard replica version? Standard replica. Standard what, do we know what the differences are? I'm not really sure. Uh, actually, actually. <laughs> now he looks at it. I'm looking at it here. Because there is like an expensive version, isn't there? And I'm like, what's the distinction? It's got like magic panels in it or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've sent me. I think my Perez one is actually. I'm holding it up here because you know what happened. I bought the shirt, right, and then Adidas or a PR company for Adidas sent me one. Ah, which was nice. Lovely. Um, but I think they have sent me the actual match day version one, because it says the one that Adidas sent me doesn't have anything on the inside of the collar. And the one on the Perez, the one with Perez on the back, it has stuff inside it. It says climate chill. So that must be what keeps the players so cool and I fresh on the pitch. I think that's the, the real pitch. deal. That's the I real deal. I think that's the real I'm deal. I'm looking here. I'm holding them up to the window to see is there any massive difference in like the fabric there might be maybe the yeah it looks maybe a little bit lighter the fabric on the the Perez one I might bring this one with me to um, to America sure it's the form fitting and lightweight construction which offers wind resistance and the advanced Adidas climate chill technology which can defeat the most intense heat with ultra breathable moisture wicking fabrics awesome because it's going to be fucking hot by the looks of it I was looking at at the temperature in LA and it was sort of 28 to 30 or whatever it was right but then I was looking at the weather for for Charlotte in North Carolina um, let me just look it up here again. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Why didn't it... Sh- okay, Charlotte in North Carolina. Uh, daily. It's like getting up to 30, 
34, 35, with humidity of 7,000%. So I'm going to need all the moisture wicking fabric I can get. I think you are. I think think I am. Uh, But that will be exciting. So you go on Friday. Yes, I go on Friday, um, arrive in L.A. We're doing a live podcast uh, on Sunday in L.A. as part of the Arsenal in L.A. Um, celebrations down at Hermosa Beach. I think it's in a bar called The Underground. Myself, Elliot, uh, Yankee Gunner, of course, uh, James Benj from Fe- Football London is going to be joining us as well. And maybe one more person, and we're going to do like a, you know, the usual panel kind of discussion and then do some Q&A. And I think there's a, a beach party or something like that afterwards. Um and then the game in L.A. is on the Wednesday and then off to Charlotte on the Thursday. Um, I think I'm doing a Q&A in Reroll Irish Bar, I assume. Of course it's an Irish bar. It's called Reroll. Um, myself and, and Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV are going to be doing a Q&A there with the Queen City Gooners. Then from there up to Washington, D.C., do the game there. I'm not quite sure if there's anything happening in D.C. yet, but I'll, I'll announce it on the site. Um, and then after that, home. Um, so it should be good. And for those of you who want to like follow the exploits, um, Andrew Allen and Tom are going to keep the blog running in my absence while I'm away. But I'm going to be doing like a tour diary thing on Patreon, exclusively for Patreon members. So some writing and probably some little short podcasts and maybe a bit of video stuff as well. So if you want to join up, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog for a five or a month and you get access to all that stuff. So that should be quite good and interesting and lots of work going on around the games and uh, hopefully we can get some some insights into what might be happening next season um, from what goes on on tour. So Very yeah. exciting. Very exciting indeed. So there you go. Right. Should we have a little break and come back to do some questions? Yes, let's. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Patreon Discord channel, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So uh, join up if you like, if you want to get on the Discord action. Just want to start here one second. 
Uh, we had a question from uh, from uh, Speroni, who's at Caulfield 7, and he says, you continually say Zaha dived against Arsenal to win a penalty, despite the Arsenal defender admitting it was a penalty. Also, Emery admitted it was a penalty. Are you a couple of bitter skid marks who whinge about diving just because you lost to the mighty palace? X. I think the X is a kiss. So he was nice as well. It's, yeah, exactly. Sealed with a kiss. Uh, skid marks sealed with a kiss. <laughs> whinging skid marks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably I am one, yeah. to be honest. But yeah. Especially, but it, I think he probably did dive. I don't remember it now. Uh, was it like uh, uh, Xhaka? Oh, well, so it was definitely it might not a have been a dive. <laughs> <laughs> If Shaka was involved, it was probably fair enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I assume that man's a Crystal Palace fan. He is, of course. His name is Speroni. Speroni. Yeah, anyway, look, Speroni. That is actually Julian Speroni. It is. Veteran goalkeeper. It is him. Uh, You know, when he's diving for us next season, they will never be dives, my friend. Yes, uh, so there you true. go. But anyway, I'll start with this one from Matthew Barwick, who's at Fusing Matt, who says, what do you make of Joe Willock being promoted to the first team? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. Number 28, apparently. Mm. Uh, got to live up to the, the Joel Campbell reputation. Is that, taking who, that number is that the number 28, yeah? I believe it was, yeah. But he's not the only one. I've just seen in the last few minutes, Reese Nelson uh, has put on his Instagram page that he's wearing number 24. So Ooh. he'll be part of the squad next season. And I think Eddie and Ketia as well has number been given 30. a new squad number. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I don't think you can necessarily read too much into that at this point. You know, it's possible that one of those players could yet be loaned out, depending on who's signed, et cetera, et cetera. But it suggests they're part of the plans, doesn't it? It does. It does. I mean, I think um, I would suggest maybe Enkedi is more likely for a loan than Willock. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's I, I a think, show of faith to an yeah, extent. And, and not the first in Joe Willock. Uh, you know, in the course of last season... He was involved in the Cups. I think towards the end of the season, you know, he, did he start the Burnley game on the final day? I think he did. Mm. Um, and then he came on in the Europa League final. I think he's the player maybe that Freddie Jumbo's got the easiest job in terms of convincing Unai Emery's of his credentials and his qualities. I think Emery already likes the player. Um, and I know, you know, we're talking about Aaron Ramsey and requiring mm. replacements. I mean, it's a big ask, isn't it, to put that burden potentially on a, a youngster like Willock? Yeah, it is. It is, certainly. But if we're going to talk sort of about an Aaron Ramsey replacement, and given that we are being linked with lots of um, wide players, there's a question here from Discord from Vanig1414, who says, who's the player who's going to kick on this coming season? Iwobi, maybe hit 10 goals, Willock and Kedia, Torreira, or someone else? Um... On Iwobi, did you see the goal he scored? Mm, for Nigeria, yeah. I mean, that was that was a Ramsey kind of goal. And it I, was. I, if I'm thinking about what's going on in terms of our transfer business and in terms of players we're being linked with and a lack of central midfield players, certainly is one of the key uh, key things that's noticeable, isn't it, about our, our, our rumours. And we, you know, we acknowledge they are only rumours, but there aren't too many central midfield players being linked with us if we talk about... We being haven't worried. even been linked with Everbenega this summer, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Well, exactly. That will tell you everything. So maybe, and it's just a suspicion on my behalf, 
Iwobi could be repurposed next season mm. into a more central player, a cost-effective way of filling the Aaron Ramsey gap in the squad. Yeah, particularly if they do go for a wide forward, be that Zaha or somebody else, you know, they, they could step into Iwobi's spot on the flank and that would free him up to, to move centrally. I, I saw that Nigeria go and he starts very deep and makes yeah. a really powerful run through the middle and it's a I'm going to say an unusually composed finish really from Iwobi uh, but you know you can't help but look at that and see some of his other qualities and think maybe he could do a job in there I, th- I certainly think he's sort of closer to it than Joe Willock as much as I think Willock's really talented I still think you know this season's going to be about adaptation and sort of bedding himself into the first team squad mm. I'm not sure he's someone you could be throwing straight in at the deep end yeah he, I'm, I'm sort of curious to see what sort of um, role they have in mind for mm. Joe Willock because you know he yeah. came on in the Europa League final and he replaced Mesut Ozil so when he has and that's played where he's played his best football generally yeah. I think in the, in the youth setup and the academy has been in more advanced roles yeah, I mean, maybe it's just easier to play him there at the moment while he matures a bit physically, and then you can drop him back into maybe a midfield too. I mean, maybe that's the long-term plan, but for now it seems that he is he is uh, thought of as a more attacking player. Um, I mean, he's not going to do... He's not going to do what El Nenny does, for example. No. Even if you would say, well, maybe he could take El Nenny's place in the squad. You know, and then he only played 300 minutes or something last season. So he's not somebody who's who's very much in, in Emery's plans or he's high in Emery's priority list when it comes to picking yeah. a team. So. But he's not a like-for-like without Nenny, is he? I mean, I think, he, I think he's quite a different player. It's funny because when he first came into the team under Arsene Wenger, he did tend to play yeah. a little bit deeper in, those, in that two, in the central midfield. Um, and, you know, I remember... There were some comparisons with Diaby and other, and other sort of players he would associate more as a kind of central midfield yeah. player. And then it felt like under Freddie Umberg last year, he really blossomed as a sort of number 10 or a second striker, uh, making a lot of contributions in the final third. So, yeah, I, it'll be fascinating to see what role Emery has in mind for him. But I do, I, I tend to agree with you that I think Iwobi is an option in the middle of the park and something we should look at. It's almost something that I'm sort of slightly surprised we've not really seen more of already. Um, maybe that's in part because of the lack of wide options. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, pre-season will tell us a bit more about what, what sort of plans yeah. he has. Um, well, we won't have be back for some time. No, because he could be involved up until um, the almost the end of July, I think. Um, mm. I'm just going to have a look here. Uh, I was looking at it a bit earlier, but I've forgotten because uh, my brain is mush. Yeah, but Iwobi yeah. is playing in the semi-final. No, not semi-final. Uh, it's a quarter-final, is it? Yeah, quarter-final against South Africa, uh, which is taking place on what day is today? Monday, so Wednesday. Um Tenth, yeah. If they win that, they go through to a semi-final on the 14th, which is Sunday. And if they win that, then the final is on the 19th. You know, yeah. so that's the following Friday. And then you're looking at giving him at least three weeks off. So I think, you know, he's uh, if Nigeria go the way, he's going to miss the start of the season. He will, yeah. He will. So, uh, Which is unfortunate because he's a player, Emery. You know, relies on usually. Um, 
But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what position he's used in. For Willock, look, I really hope that these kids can make the most of the opportunities they're going to be presented with on this tour. I suppose that's the one upside of we have the fact we haven't made any signings is that you know someone like Joe Willock is going to get a chance to show what he can do, and you know fans would love it if he could make a good impression. Mm. Um, and I think yeah, look, based on what the way Emery used him last season he's pretty close. I mean, you know, there were times where Emery was sort of reticent to use Enketia, it felt like, but he never seemed quite to have that reticence with Willock. I think there's a bit more faith there. So yeah. that bodes well for him. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. Uh, we will see. Uh, let's have a look. This question is from Juan David, who's at Hub City Gunner on Twitter. And Juan says, is the top six concept sustainable with such a huge financial gap between the Champions League slots and the rest? I can't shake the fear we'll slip out of the top tier for good if we don't right the, sh- right the ship soon. Um, look, we, we only finished a point off the mm. Champions League places last season. It was tremendously disheartening and disappointing not to secure Champions League football via the uh, via the Premier League last season. It was obviously very disappointing as well to lose the Europa League final in the manner we did. And I think those two things, on top of the this indolence that we appear to be showing in the transfer market, are really having an impact on the way people are viewing things. And I completely understand it, uh, and I do, absolutely. But we did all only finish one point off the top four. So it's not as if we finished with fewer points than we did in Wenger's last season. You know, we did improve our points total, I think. Um, So the concerns that we all have, and I think we're all quite right to have about where where we're going and everything else, are, are playing into sort of wider fears about the the longer-term um, destination for this football club. And I have fears about that myself. I do. Uh, you know, I really do, particularly with, with Kroenke and, and the way that he allows things to run at the football club and the decisions that ultimately he is responsible for. You know, he puts the people in charge and so far, the people that he's put in charge have done very little this summer to instill any sort of faith in us whatsoever that next season will be better. And that's that's where I think we are right now. Um, we could be sitting here in two weeks' time, having made a number of signings, feeling an awful lot better about our prospects next season. But it absolutely relies on what we do in the transfer market this summer. You know, even if our budget is limited, I think we all understand that it's limited to a certain extent. You know, there's a a question here, um, which I'm going to grab here. It comes from Gunnar Grant AFC. And he says, if we've signed just Martinelli, Saliba, with no loan back, and Zaha at the end of the transfer window, would you be confident of a top four finish? Absolutely not. You know, we, we, we have serious issues in this squad. So as long as those issues remain... Un, um, unsolved or unaddressed. Is that a word? Unaddressed? Yeah. As long as that happens, people are going to be absolutely worried. The minute we start to act and make it look like we have a plan and make it look like we have a, a strategy and there's a seriousness about about implementing that, people will feel better. 
I think. But it's this limbo that we're in right now where fuck all has happened in terms of getting rid of some of the players we want to get rid of and fuck all has happened about bringing in some players to improve the squad. So how can anybody be anything other than, like, afraid about what's going what's gonna to happen? No, I, I do understand that. I suppose by the same token, we, we finished a point off. So, it, you know, if we made those signings, if we replicated our performance from this season, you know, the... the Kind of absurdly, there is still a chance that we could make it by the skin of our teeth if Chelsea go backwards and, you know, uh, well, that's all we really need. If Chelsea go backwards with their transfer embargo and a very inexperienced manager, that potentially would be enough. I'm yeah. not saying we should rely on that, but in answer to the original question, I'm kind of less worried about the top six becoming a top four than I am about it becoming a top seven or eight. You know, I, I feel like the... I don't feel like the four Champions League teams are pulling away necessarily from those in fifth and sixth, but I do feel like the the finances in the Premier League mean that the teams behind us are potentially gaining ground. And I think that what is what might make it more competitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, the clubs like West Ham, Everton, Wolves, um, smart run clubs who've spent quite well in the last few years, um, or clubs who've got a big financial injection, they could offer a bit of a threat, I think, from the... We should be looking back, really. Yeah, but, I mean, everybody's looking at, you know, other things. We talked about the Tyrone Mings thing and Aston Villa throwing out £26 million on a player, you know, and people are looking at that and sort of scratching their heads and going, well, what, what, why can't Arsenal sign players? If Aston Villa can do that, if... um, Who did Bournemouth sign the other day for for £20 million? Um, Danny Ings? Yeah, no, that uh, was Southampton, was it? Southampton, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, there's pl- there's plenty of money going around, and I know we spoke about well, maybe that's because we're handicapped by our salary, and I think really, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I suspect maybe we just didn't make enough sort of contingency plans for if we didn't make the Champions League. You know, mm. like a team might, a club might have relegation clauses and things like that. Effectively, financially, we were relegated from the Champions League. And maybe, you know, we didn't have the clauses to sort of bring salaries into line with that. And that's where we've ended up in the red. Mm. Uh, Not that you should plan for failure, you know. No, of course. uh, But I mean, some sort of uh, contingency as to, you know, things not going quite as well as as you might like. I have some uh, live breaking transfer news, by the way. Um, which has come from uh, Neboja Markovic, who is a sports journalist. Uh, And they have tweeted out saying, Partizan Belgrade are very close to signing Takuma Asano on loan from Arsenal. Mm, We did a story about this on Arsbog News earlier on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's not as exciting and breaking as I thought. No, it's not. We can't get a fee for anybody these days. I mean... Seriously, (laughs) why would you loan him out again? Why wouldn't you just give him away? Like, just give him away. There is no point in loaning Takuma Asano. There there just isn't. You know, he's had three seasons. We bought him in 2006, 16, 2016. Decent chunk of money again. Yeah, it was like four million or something like that, whatever it was, you know. And um, it's just... It just baffles me that, A, we would waste our time thinking that he's going to 
somehow become good enough after a season at Partizan Belgrade to come back and stake a claim in the Arsenal setup. So just sell him for a nominal fee and get, you know, get, get rid of him, move him on. I mean, what was the point in signing him anyway? Is it like a, I don't know. I don't know. Was it like a money laundering thing? I mean, it, it genuinely I just feels a bit like it. You know, what was it? I know sometimes, you know, you take a bit of a shot in the dark and you buy a player and, you know, maybe he'll he'll come good. But, like, he went to, where did he go? Stuttgart in the German second division and played quite well in the German second division and then came up and stayed with Stuttgart the next season and was pretty poor and then went to Hanover and he scored one goal in 15 games, didn't score a goal in the Bundesliga. What are we doing? What are we even... Why? What? Why? I don't I get it. Tw- 25 later this year. Uh, it's not even really like you can think of him as a young prospect. Uh, yeah, exactly. Kind of awesome. Exactly. Has his market value increased in any way whatsoever since we brought him in from uh, whatever team it was in, in Japan? Um Probably not at all. And not he at has all. a lot of problems with injuries, I think, which has been a factor. But yeah, uh, a very strange signing. Hey, one that doesn't seem to have borne any fruit. But at least he does a celebration like an angry tiger. There is that. That is the main thing we know about him, to be mm. honest with you. I, I do believe that we have a very good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that. I do believe that I we have a very good plan. I do believe. I lo- it's very mafioso. It is a bit, isn't it? It is a bit. Uh, have you got a question there? I, I do believe that we have a very good plan to go. <laughs> I might play the rest of that later. Just sit down and listen to Raoul for, for hours and hours. Is it my question? I don't know. It can be. It can or be. Just- I'm not sure. Uh, uh, okay, let me go through, because uh, we've talked a lot about transfers, and a lot of the questions are about transfers. Like, for example, Mr. Mustafa Mia says, Hi, guys, this time last year we'd signed five players and we were done with transfers. This season we've just signed one youth player. Should we be concerned? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think I so. I think we could be concerned. I'm mm. not sure if we're quite into full panic, but concern is definitely appropriate. At, at what point... point in this summer, would continued inaction lead you to move from concern to panic? Mm. I'm just having a look at the calendar now. Uh, So Newcastle United is on the 11th, and so the deadline must be that week, is it, on the 8th or something like that? So that's about one, two, three, four and a half weeks away. Mm. Um... I think in about a fortnight, we're in proper panic territory. Right. I think once you get to the Emirates Cup on the 28th, if we haven't got a few shiny new signings at home to Leon that afternoon... On the pitch, burn it all down. Burn it down. I think just Riots. storm the pitch, yeah. take the Emirates hostage uh, until you know we get some... Until they spend some a sit-in some protest, money. we <laughs> should we should we should have a coordinated sit-in protest. Maybe Red Action or some of these guys can do it. Where basically, you get all the people sitting on the pitch, and you get them sitting around. So you get an S, and you get a T, and you get an A, and you get mm-hmm. an N, all in capitals, and then you also position people into the shape of a massive cock. 
and you get somebody like Stuart McFarlane can get on the roof of the Emirates and just take a picture and it would become the most viral picture of all time where it just says Stan and a massive penis on the Arsenal pitch. Would that not send the greatest message of all time about our transfer business? Look, it's better than a banner attached to a plane. I'll give you that. That is true. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about this question then? I'll, I'll sort of on that note, it comes from Compliant Rebel on Twitter. My favourite kind of rebel, to be honest Okay, with yeah. Uh, Bit of an moron, but hey. Yeah. In Dallas, we have two mediocre sports teams with passionate owners. The NFL uh, Cowboys and in the NBA, the Mavericks. Why do Arsenal fans cling to the idea that owner passion will improve the team? That's a good question, isn't it? Mm. I guess it's because it's what you're missing. Like if you're a part of the Dallas teams and you've got these passionate owners, maybe you're craving a dispassionate forensic owner who will make decisions based on, you know, facts and figures and things like that. Mm. That, you know, your heart rules your head. Maybe you need the head to rule the heart. But when you've got an owner as distant and apparently uncaring as Cronky, it's hard not to attribute some of the some of the problems we have to that. Um I thought it was quite interesting today, just when when I wrote about it, I was just sitting here this morning writing the blog and I was looking up a, a Colorado Rapids blog and some of the things that they say about the problems at their club could just very easily be applied to Arsenal. So if you haven't read it, you know, he, the guy who's writing the blog, which is called uh, Burgundy Wave, um, says it's possible to love a club but still question the director of the club, to bleed Burgundy but feel drained dry. So change Burgundy to red and white. And what have you got? And then, you know, he talks about rapid supporters expecting an owner so engaged that they're true supporters of the club. And then he talks about the same issues, coaching, backline issues, defensive problems, lack of engagement by the ownership. So if you feel like that's what you're missing, then that becomes... It's natural a, to think yeah, that might be the antidote. Might, yeah. Well, not maybe not the antidote, but certainly part of it. You know, and yeah. and and, you know, if you have an owner who cares so little that he will sanction a million pound bonus for a chief executive that takes you out of the Champions League and puts you in the Europa League, you've got to question that because the message it sends is is terrible. You know, it's not a message that says, if you achieve, you will do well. The message is you will do well regardless of what happens. So ultimately, why should anyone give a fuck? Yes, I think that... I, I think that I'm not necessarily asking for passion no. as much as I'm asking for engagement. You know, I don't yeah, yeah, expect yeah. Stan Kroenke to become an Arsenal fan. And I'm not even sure that being run by a fan is necessarily always the best thing. You know, I think, look at Leeds United under Peter Risdale. He operated a bit like a fan and that had huge disastrous implications for that club. You mm. can't just, you know, passion's only part of it. I think that... You can be entirely dispassionate, but but be engaged with the club and the problems that it's facing. Um, in some ways, maybe that's sort of an ideal position. 
You know, so I, I think, look, it would be lovely to have an owner who cared deeply about Arsenal. I don't think they have to care deeply about Arsenal or necessarily feel that affinity. I just think they have to be involved and be attentive. Sure. I mean, here's a question from Simon Howard, Howard, uh, on Facebook. He says, I already tweeted you this question. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. Um, but further to your blog this morning, if the backroom staff know they'll get paid regardless of results, should we prioritize hiring passion for the club over experience? Would an inexperienced former Gooner be more motivated than an experienced neutral, maybe even more effective? Maybe. What sort of roles do, yeah. do you think they mean in? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Sky Sports News just saying Arsenal are in talks to sign centre-back William Saliba from Saint-Étienne. There's a breaking Bra- news. Breaking I haven't news. heard of that. Sky sources, wow. I guess. Those Sky sources strike again. Wow. How do they do it? <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. It's just amazing. It must be infuriating. Yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, certainly in terms of... I, I mean, when I was citing the example, it was... You know, the, the Gazidis example. Um, well, we've hired Edu, haven't we, into yeah. a backroom role, who's, you know, someone with a affiliation with the club. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, passion for something is not, um, is not really a qualification for a job, right? Because yeah. we're both very passionate about Arsenal. And many of the people who listen to this podcast, apart from... Speroni there, sure. who, who thinks we're skid marks, yeah. are all very passionate about Arsenal. But should we be running the club? Probably yes. not. Well, oh, Probably yes, sorry, yes, yes. yes. Okay, yeah. sorry, yes, Especially we should be. Especially on that be. salary, that sweet yeah. chief executive salary. We should be running this club, Andrew. Don't talk ourselves out of a job here. But you know what I mean? It's like, I, I'd be very passionate about Arsenal, but, I, you know, I couldn't manage Arsenal. I mean, I could for about 10 games, and it would be hilarious. Yeah. And then it would end in some a kind caretaker of... caretaker spell would be great. It would be. It would be great. Just to the end of the season, I'd have so much fun in press conferences and what have you. But I'm not sure I could produce the results on the pitch, given my lack of coaching experience and, and everything else. It's not to say I wouldn't be passionate, but it's, it's not... Um, it's not the qualification that demands you get given a job. But no. if I think you can, co- if you can combine competence, maybe even quality, wow. with a certain amount of passion for, for the club that you're working for, then I think it can have a, a positive impact. Yeah. I think everyone does their job better if they feel good about their employers. Yeah, know? if they really, really care, you know. Of course. So, uh, what about this question? This is from the Detailist, who's at the Detailist UK, and they say I was looking at Mustafi's Instagram, and some of the comments on it were pretty harsh. I was wondering about how appropriate or helpful you think those kinds of comments are, and more generally about how relationships between players and fans should work on social media. Um. I think, we, you know, we, we've touched on this many times before that, mm. you know, if you're going to a guy's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and you're directing abuse at him or his family or, or, or anything like that, um, you're out of order. I think you're out of order, to be perfectly honest. I don't understand really why a lot of footballers have 
social media. I mean, they're young men and everyone does it, so I get it from that point of view. But, you know, it's it's an unfortunate byproduct of this technological world that we live in, that this access that you have to players that you never had before. Because what are you going to do if you, you know, you didn't like a player in the past? You're going to sit down and write a letter. Yeah. Dear bloke, I think you're fucking shit. And, you know, by the time you got like three lines into it, you'd be going, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Like by the, the time it's arrived at his house, yeah. you know, or at the club, or he's, he's got to him, there's been another game. He's probably scored a goal. He's forgotten about exactly. it. Exactly. But the immediacy and the, the, the instant like gratification that wankers can get from directing abuse at people is um yeah it's it's wrong i don't don't condone it in any way whatsoever i mean i think talking about a player or analyzing a player or even being critical of a player on a podcast which is a medium that is not you know we're not sort of if we criticize mustafi we're not then posting the podcast link and saying, hey, have a listen to this. You know, there's got to be room for 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 criticism and analysis and all those kind of things. But I think the minute you do it directly to a player, you're a dickhead, mm. you know? Mm. And I don't know what you hope to achieve by acting in that way. I mean, what do they think they'll achieve? Oh, will this make him play better? Do you want him to play better? You don't want him to play better. You want him to leave or whatever. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's human nature. It's a pretty grotty part of human nature. Um, And I don't know what to do other than to suggest that anybody who does that is not worth engaging with in any way. And I don't know that you you can really consider yourself a real fan if that's the way that you behave towards players of your club whether you like them or you dislike them you can just keep your mouth shut or you can talk to your mates about it or talk to whoever about it but the you know i think that's a line i think that's a line you shouldn't cross yeah i think i agree and it's 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 tricky you know we have to be sort of self-aware you know in this in this respect because of course we like all fans talk about players and it's not always complimentary because <laughs> we get pissed off or we get frustrated or yeah. whatever but i think there's a difference between you know sharing that among your followers or among your friends or in your whatsapp group or whatever and actually seeking out an individual to abuse them you know or yeah. let them know what you think of them i think that's you know i think that's sort of like the difference between uh, a a shout of frustration when a a player misses a chance or turning to your mate and saying, I don't think he's having a good day and then and screaming abuse into the player's face. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like there has to be a distinction there, you know, as fans mm. and as people who write about the club. I mean, no, just as fans, really. Inevitably, we have opinions, we share those opinions, we talk about them, but you don't need to expose people to that directly. And I think my, my one consolation often in these instances, I sort of think and hope, surely these professional footballers aren't really engaging that heavily with what people say about them on Instagram or on Twitter. Like, surely they're, you know, you say, why do they have these social media accounts? Well, surely they are largely cosmetic. You know, they're sort of just part of the brand rather than something where, like, they're actually engaging with people, you know? maybe, but, like, isn't it normal, whether you're a professional footballer or not, to sort of 
you know, you put up a picture or you put up something on Instagram or Twitter to check the replies. Yeah, I guess. You know? I guess. And however you feel about someone as a player, it, it doesn't feel good to get criticism, or, or, you know, for anything. For anything. For anybody. You know, you, you think about if you put up a picture of one of these guys who's abusing Mustafi or Xhaka or Xhaka's wife or all these weirdos mm. that do that kind of stuff. You know, they find they find people's family members and abuse them there. I mean, fuck Jesus. You that know, is properly weird. That yeah. is, uh, that's insane. That's sort of, they will probably kidnap your child and eat them. Uh, weird. That's that sort of level. But if you were to say anything critical to them, they put up a picture and you were to, you know, they're just people at the end of the day. So, I don't know. Yeah. It is Mustafi's weird... just people. He's just a people at He's the end of the day. just a people. Maybe not a particularly good enough central defender people, but there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it is... I don't know how to to solve it. Don't know how to solve. It. I did enjoy the Arsenal account today, um, posting up something about like twenty days to the Emirates Cup. You guys, it's going to be so exciting. And then just almost every reply is sign some players. Shut up. Sign some players. Sign some players. Sign some fucking players. Sign some players. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of replies about signing players. So, yeah. That's I mean that's the internet. Hope, look, that's one instance where I hope someone at the club is checking those replies. That would be good. Yeah. Um Pushkin at Mr. Buer, after vociferously cheering Senor Emery's decision to play senior players at all stages of the Europa League last season on the grounds that nobody's special, why are you now advocating playing the kids in the same competition next season? Oh, I think that could be directed at me. I think that's mostly directed at you. Do you want to answer it? Uh yeah, because um because we can use the Europa League um, group stages to blood some of the exciting young talent that we have at the club who we need to give game time to if, we, if we're going to find out if they're good enough or not or ready enough or not or mature enough or not or developed or not. It also allows us to rest players for Premier League games, meaning that we're maybe a bit fresher than we might be for some of them. Uh, Thus increasing our chances of gaining points in the Premier League and finishing in the top four, which I think is, you know, a bit slim as things stand, but of course we could make all those transfers in the next two weeks before we have to make the giant stand Mickey on the pitch. Um, So I just think that it's an opportunity to give these young players a chance. It's an opportunity to to see what they can do, to raise their value, to perhaps increase their value for some of them. We we could sell them uh, as well at some point in the future because they've actually played some games for the club. And I, I see a lot of benefits of playing young players, and I don't really see any benefit in playing the likes of... Aubameyang and Lacazette and Torreira and Xhaka and Koscielny and Socrates. I just don't see the real benefit. What will we do if we play those players? We might win games a bit more easily. Mm. And if we go out of the Europa League, I don't give a fuck. To your mind, is this rule like sort of, is that your policy for the group stage, but then you would introduce more senior players after that? I think... As it progresses, 
it becomes more serious inevitably. You know, you're going to have to take a pragmatic view of who you're playing and the quality of the opposition. And if you get to, if you like, if you get with mostly kids to the quarterfinals and then you draw a pretty decent team, you're probably going to have to, you're probably going to have to increase the amount of senior players in it. However, what you don't have are senior players who've been fatigued from playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, and are maybe better able to cope at the business end of the season. So I think you've got to be a bit pragmatic when you get late, but there you go. And also, just to sort of add on your behalf, I mean, Emery's sort of policy of everyone's equal, you know, there's no hierarchy within the squad, is something that you would naturally want to deploy in your first season in charge. Yeah. But maybe the it's not quite as necessary when you're already 12 months into the job. Precisely. Precisely. He's seen some of these players and he's seen what they can do and what they can't do. Um, yeah. And I think everybody, you know, the context of the Europa League this season is different again. Mm. And we're all sick to the back teeth of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it would be more exciting. I think it would be more exciting to see, like, you know, think about what you could see um, as a team for the Europa League where you're playing Emmy Martinez in goal. I don't know who you're going to play at right back. I haven't got a clue. Um, but you could play... Medley maybe as a central defender. Who could you fit into these teams? You know, I don't know if yeah, we've got anyone at uh, left back. But then you 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 go into a game with let's say Willock, um, Reese Nelson, Emil Smith Rowe, Martinelli. You know, there'd be something exciting about seeing these young players go out there and and try and beat an established, experienced senior team, mm. rather than like more El Nani or or you know. That kind of decision-making, I think, um, in terms of team selection, is just not inspiring or exciting. So give us something to get excited about. If it's not going to be transfers, it might as well be this. Yeah, bring back some of that, that Carling Cup joie de vivre. That yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, you any more questions? Not really. No, I mean, not particularly. Uh, this one on Facebook, Kevin Manier said... Uh, it's, it's another transfer one, really. Do you think Ryan Sessignon of Fulham would be a good option for us? Yeah, but too expensive. And I, isn't he going to Tottenham? Isn't that the, isn't that the story? Mm, there's been a lot of chat about that. Yeah. I mean, he would be an interesting option just because he's someone who has played left side and and left back, which is a position we mentioned then. We don't have a huge amount of prospects coming through. In. But Tierney we're talking about. And the, the only thing that's interesting about Sessignon is, I suppose, he would retain his value like if we're seeing anything in this transfer window it's that you sign a young English player mm. they're probably going to retain their transfer value if not significantly improve upon it but mm. um, he didn't quite have the impact that was expected in the Premier League last year so but I think you know there's probably still something there you know when a player is, makes the impact he did at like sort of 16, 17 yeah. it, it might take some time for him to sort of make it at the top level but yeah. you know, there should be some. I there. think he's just out of our price range to be honest yeah probably uh, just Malvin at Nightly Tim says, who would you rather have narrating an entire day of your life? You're going to hear hmm. every word out loud in your head. Okay. Unai Emery or Raul Sanyehi? Raul Sanyehi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, uh, I, uh, I... I'm so tired. I have to go uh, to the toilet. Uh, now I'm going to the toilet. Oh, that burns a bit. <laughs> 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 Basically that, yeah, uh, absolutely. Unai Emery, 
God love him, but I, you know, I don't find his tones particularly easy on the ear. He's not. I don't think he's going to break into the audiobook industry anytime soon. <laughs> Certainly not in the English language. No, that's true. I, I do believe that we have a very good plan to cover those positions, to be much stronger next year, to deliver the success that we're all hoping for. To deliver the success that we're all hoping for. What I success cannot, is this? <laughs> I cannot wait to see the very good plan. It is very good plan. Very good plan. Yeah, there you go. Um... Do you want some magpie facts? Yeah. Okay. After our jingle, I think after today we'll call it quits with magpie facts because we've, we've peaked. I think we've peaked. We've the, the jingle is amazing, but I think we need to just do one to wind it down. So I have three magpie facts here, and in classic game show style, one of them is real. One of them is not. Or two of them are not. Hang on. Okay, right. One's two. true. And one's not. Right. And you have to decide which one is real. Okay. Okay. Fact number one. Magpies never sleep. And when they're in their nest, they have spells of what birdologists, whatever they're called, hmm. they call waking comas. They can stay that way for hours, but can snap out of it in seconds if startled. Sounds very plausible to me. Sounds very Fact plausible. number two. I've never seen a magpie with its eyes shut. There you Let's go. Let's just put it like that. Former crooner Sammy Davis Jr. was left partially blinded when a magpie flew beak first into his eye. Okay. All right. Okay. You might remember he used to wear an eye patch. Yeah. Just throwing course. it out there. Yeah. Number three. Magpies can hold grudges for years. Scientists in an experiment made two magpies fight by giving them hallucinogenic drugs to alter their brains. Mm. They separated the birds, tended to their injuries. Some of them were very, very serious injuries and kept them apart for years. They didn't mm. see each other again for years. Then they put them in the same room and the magpies, after a few seconds, recognized each other and started to kick the absolute shit out of each other, clawing with their vicious, evil magpie talons. So and they can checking, hold a grudge. Were they the words the scientists used to kick the absolute shit out of each other? Well, it's scientific language, James. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Kicked the absolute shit out of each other. I mean, it can happen. I mean, birds are quite pooey. As you know. I know. I mean, uh, the problem is, all those sound very plausible to me. Mm. I was going to make reference to, I mean, the, the magpie attack one. Uh, we had a tweet from L. Hardy uh, talking about what happens in Australia with magpies. Do you know about this? I can't believe we've not heard from more Australian listeners about this. September is the peak of Australia's own version of homegrown terrorism when a small but conspicuous proportion of magpies throughout the country begin to attack otherwise innocent passers-by. I thought, was this the one with the bike helmet and someone like yeah. put eyes on the back of the bike helmet so they wouldn't go for the, go for the eyes? I they never heard Al's of Sammy Davis Jr. Al said that when they were kids, because they attacked from behind magpies, so they used <gasps> to wear buckets on their head with faces drawn on the back so the magpie would think, oh, I won't attack them from the back because that's the front. How can you see where you're going if you've got a bucket on your head? 
I think you wear it like a hat. I don't think it's like down sort of to the shoulders. I think you. Well, how many head size buckets are there? Use the handle as a chin strap. How many head size? The, the buckets are quite wide. In Australia, kids have got massive heads. Everyone knows that. Or tiny buckets. It, yeah, both. Uh, and yeah, they're they're attacking Australians all the time. So I don't know. It could all be true. Okay. Uh, but I, you've told me only one of those things is true. Sammy Davis Jr. I don't think he lost his eye to a magpie. I think it was a, a crow or a seagull. Um, <laughs> uh, the third, what was the third fact? Oh, the holding the grudges. Yeah. You know, magpies have funerals. Do you know about this? If it's if it's the last magpie facts, let's get it all on the table. So, when a magpie dies, they have funeral ceremonies that they conduct. You, if a magpie dies in your garden, you'll know about it because ma- a group of magpies like stand around and make a lot of noise. They won't. Not in my garden. Time. They won't because they'll get eaten by a dog. Well, yeah, that's true. It'll just be a never-ending cycle of funerals. Mm. A magpie gets eaten by a dog. All the other magpies turn up. Just... One of the funeral guests get eaten. <laughs> Another funeral starts. That's the circle of life. The Magpie Gazette would be just full of trauma. They wouldn't be able to go to print because they'd constantly be updating it. I think the true fact is that magpies never sleep. Well, I made them all up, so I don't know. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) That had to be done, I'm sorry. Maybe they do. That had to be done. Do magpies sleep? They must sleep. That's a myth. Birds hardly ever sleep in nests. Do, bird, do are magpies active at night? Magpies can form friendships with people. How do birds sleep? ABC. This is an Australian website. They should know. Waterfowl. I mean, it's, they can it's switch off half their brain. Which half, though? Many birds have another trick. They switch off half their brain. Waking comas. Birds can close one eye and switch off one brain. What? And leave the other eye with the corresponding brain fully awake and alert. That's Magpies weird. have got two brains. This is mental. Other birds, such as crows, swallows, swifts and starlings, do communal roosting. We're not going to get to the bottom of this, are we? No. I Even don't... if magpies say they sleep, I'm not sure I believe them. No, I wouldn't trust one as far as I could. They definitely throw lie. Them. Yeah, yeah. And I reckon you could throw a magpie quite far. Mmm. Right into Sammy Davis Jr.'s eye. Get it in that plastic bag. Swing it round over your head. Let go. Yeah, that happened to me once with a bee. What happened? Well, I cycled into the arse of a bee with oh, my. Right. The bee was just hovering. Sting out. No, the bee could have been going along at a reasonable pace, but I was bombing along on my bike, um, my rally, whatever it was, as a kid, and I cycled into the bee's stinger with my mouth. Oh, my aunt ate a cake with a bee on it. Yeah, you told us this one. She, yeah. She's got a bee problem, doesn't she? Well, she does now. No, yeah, she was allergic. <laughs> it was quite serious. Be careful out there, guys. Just wear a bucket on your head at all times. It's the only way to be safe. It's the only way to get through this transfer window as well. Mm. Yeah. Sky now we News. Got magpie facts. Sky Sports News <laughs> reporting that we might be interested in signing uh, Kieran Tierney from yeah from Celtic. Wow. Wow. They are right on the pulse. They really are.
of something long dead. Um, Right. Let's wrap this up, I reckon. Let's wrap it up. People have been waiting long enough. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. It should be fun out there. Um, I'll give some more details on what's going on in the various events and stuff on the website, of course. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that I will be on the other side of the um, Atlantic... On the, mm-hmm. on the west coast of the USA. We will have an Arscast Extra next Monday. We're going to yeah. keep it all going. We're going to keep it all going. Transatlantic. I must remember Hear to all about your trip. bring my microphone. Don't I forget was, it. I won't. I'll try not to anyway. No, I, I do have it out and ready to, to get packed. All right. Well, look, thank you as ever to everyone for listening. And uh, I think, yeah, no, I'll definitely do a podcast for Friday. So there'll be a, an Arscast regular on Friday an cast from the US on Monday. Um, so until then, thanks for listening as always. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.